there, and welcome to Behind the Screens, presented by the Village Idiots Podcast. Here on Behind the Screens, we'll share some exclusive insights on what goes into being a DM, along with some helpful tips and tricks for anyone thinking about starting up their own adventure. Not to mention some special guest DMs and hosts to look forward to. Now, what makes this exclusive is that going forward, this ongoing series will only be available for our Patreon members. The good news is that you are only a couple bucks a month from that sweet, sweet DM wisdom. A few more and you can even sit in the host chair and ask your own questions. And after all these years, it's time for answers. You can find the latest episodes of Behind the Screens and even more content on our Patreon at patreon.com slash villageidiotpod. That's patreon.com slash villageidiotpod. Bye! Hello, hello, and welcome to Behind the Screens. I am your host, Emily. This is a very specific podcast geared towards our DMs, and it's also exclusive for our Patreon members. We want to thank you all for being a patron. This is just to get a glimpse behind the screen of the DM that either makes great decisions or makes our lives hell, and I want to find out why that is. Not to mention, I'm going to be starting up my own campaign soon, so some of these are personal questions that I've got. I've rounded up some DMs from around the country, really, (laughs) and we are all together today to talk about certain things that I have decided we're going to talk about. With me today, I have got Sam Hardy. Hi there, I'm Sam. I, uh, I live in Brooklyn. I'm an actor here in New York. I'm also currently working as a waiter. It's groundbreaking, I know. <laughs> I've been playing D&D and Pathfinder on and off varying degrees of intensity for about five or six years now. I know Emily and Justin from the main podcast through Emily's cousin, Natalie, who I understand will be appearing in Emily's campaign when that starts up. I'm very excited to be a part of this. I'm a big fan of the Village Idiots and looking forward to sharing my opinions on some DM stuff. Oh, I guess I should also mention, um, been playing for about five or six years. I just started to DM my own campaign about, it's been almost a year now. Nice, nice. So a little fresher. And next is Anthony. I don't know your last name. Well, my last name is Hasselbauer. (laughs) Hello. Cool. I'm going to have you say that. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I'm Anthony Hasselbauer. I uh, also live in New York City. I work at the Museum of Modern Art, but in more relevant terms, I have been a DM uh, and player for about, I'd say, probably six years now as well. I think Sam and I started literally around the same time. I, uh, yeah. Do you have a, a hobby that is not DM? <laughs> um, it takes up a lot of my time. <laughs> no. Um, oh. Yeah, no, it does. Um, I run probably about two or three different games, all within the same world. So there's a lot going on there as far as time management goes. Nice. And next, of course, uh, this is our Patreon, so we have to be a little selfish. We have Nathan, who is the DM for Village Idiots. What's up, Nathan? Hi, first time listener. <laughs> no, for, for uh, I don't know. I, I'm not good at this. I've never been on a podcast before. Hi, I'm Nathan. <laughs> I have been playing D&D since 
2013 or 14, I guess. Started with 3.5, now playing 5th edition. Never played Pathfinder. Would probably really enjoy it. And yeah, always the DM, never the player. So that's me. (laughs) Fair. Okay, so... Now that we got the introductions out of the way, um, I get to say something that I've always wanted to say. Um, Roll initiative. (laughs) I'm going to have each of them roll initiative, and whatever it comes up with means that they get to go first in the lightning round. That will happen later in the game. I'm going to ask these lovely fellows some questions. It's going to start with just general questions about DMing, and then I want to know their opinions on certain things to do with the game. So I'm going to ask them questions. And when those questions come up, they have to answer as quickly as possible without thinking about it. But first, for the thinking questions. All right. What are your initiative orders? Well, despite my piss poor dexterity modifier, that came up a nat 20. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, nat 20. All right. Who's next? I got a big fat eight. Eight. Respectable. I've got a lovely nine. Oh, even more respectable. Okay, so that would mean Sam is first. <laughs> Why is nine better than eight? Nine is better than eight? S- seven, eight, n- no. That's Yeah, you said nine was even more respectable. Nine was even more respectable than eight? Yeah, you just said that. Yeah, eight's bad. Yeah. Roll back the, roll back the tapes. <laughs> yeah, eight's bad, obviously. It's the worst number. Mm, okay, okay. Anyway, so we've got Sam first, and then it'll be Nathan, and then Anthony. Okay, so let's start with the long questions. How did you first start DMing? And we're going to go in the same initiative order, by the way, to answer these questions. Cool. I had been playing for several years prior. And, you know, you, you're in someone's game or, or games, and you're looking through all the rule books, and, like, as you're reading things, creating your character... Or like looking at the monster manual or even I, you know, you pick up the dungeon master's guide and immediately flip to the magic items because of course, <laughs> um, and think like, oh, that would be neat. I'd like to see that in a game. And you can either strong arm your DM into including things that you <laughs> want to see, or you can just kind of set it up yourself. I was I was thinking about sort of like my campaign setting for years before I put anything to to paper. And then finally, when I felt like I had at least coalesced a good starting point for players, that's when I kicked it off. And yeah, it's, it's been going strong ever since we have a a good group of people that play together pretty regularly. So it was the simplest thing to just add and like, Hey, I'd like to run one. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Nice. And how did the first game go when you actually got it sorted? It was good. It was, um, we have some very strong, like, kind of character players. And of course, I went with the, uh, we're starting in a tavern route. (laughs) So everyone got to bust in the door and cause a ruckus and introduce themselves as this really colorful cast. And uh, it it felt really good to kind of get it off the ground and be like, oh, I can, I can do this. I mean, we joke about starting in a tavern, but I mean, if we're going to talk about the best way to introduce characters, the tavern's probably the best way to introduce characters. There's a reason it's popular. Um, All right. And so now we have Nathan. How'd you start DMing? Well, we were playing in a game 3.5 and we kind of did, it was three of us DMing in the same world. 
uh, and we would just kind of take turns. So I had an idea for a, a little one shot for these characters and it was, I think, right after my character had met his untimely demise. And so I DM'd the next session and had a, a pretty good time. It was interesting and uh, caught the bug. And then a few years later, I picked up 5th edition and started something like two campaigns at the same time. <laughs> so it was it was a lot of fun. Uh, played with the uh, adventure books, started uh, Horde of the Dragon Queen and Curse of Strahd. So played both of those. And then a little while later, after we finished Curse of Strahd, started up the the homebrew for uh, Village Idiots. Nice. And that first session, how did that go? Was it pretty much what you expected or was it harder? I think it went about as well as I could have expected with the group that we were with. Uh <laughs> <laughs> not quite as uh, serious a group as some, but you know what the aim is to have a good time, and I think that we we all did that. We all accomplished our goal there. Fair. So generally positive. Makes sense. Hey Tony, <laughs> hey. How, how did you first start DMing? Um, it was long ago, and my memory is a dumpster fire. So I, I think <laughs> I think the. The start ended up being uh, Sam and I were playing in um, one of the grad students' games where we went to college, and that game slowly started to happen less and less and less and be spread out over periods of months. And I just, I think I was like, I kind of want to do this. And the same thing, you know, looking through all the books and everything and putting things together. And I can't remember if my first campaign or session or was the uh like a pirate themed campaign or if it ended up being a one shot where i spent tons of time homebrewing races to try to fit the elder scroll series and then that like oh crashed and burned i can't remember which one came first i think it was pirates first i think we started with the both of these were in pathfinder back in the right. day correct because um, we had just come out of 3.5 with the other game and we we're like let's try pathfinder you know, let's try. You know, I want more math. I like 3.5, but I'd like to be more confused. Math is great. Sorry. I like 5th edition for a reason. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Personally. Okay. And, uh, but how did that first game go? Like, was it good? Depending on, yeah, depending <laughs> on which game it was, uh, I know that the, I can remember specifically the homebrewed races and everything homebrewed one went, went terribly. But the, pirate one was great um as far as i remember like i said that was so long ago i feel like if something really bad happened it would stick out so it must have gone well here i am <laughs> it must have gone well i obviously wasn't completely traumatized by it <laughs> okay so moving on to the second question what was your first i'll never do that again teachable moment so when you were playing your game and something happened, whether it was a character asked you to do something and you were like, sure, what's the worst that could happen or <laughs> whatever. So it may be. And uh, it kind of ruined everything. And you were like, okay, good to know. I just won't ever do that again. Does anyone have any stories like that? Starting again with Sam. My players walked out of a fight with a green dragon completely unscathed. 
they they killed a green dragon and no one took a single point of damage because they had they had come up with this cool strategy of um hey let's buy some lengths of chain let's sneak up while it's sleeping let's stake it to the ground that way it you know won't be able to move and i thought that's neat that's good strategy that's yeah that's cool so there's no specific rule for chaining a dragon to the ground in the book so i was like okay let's see how would this affect do, do we do a restrain condition and i basically made it so the whole time the thing couldn't move and it was uh it was kind of me learning like oh okay so you reward good strategy but but not that much not that um, much. It, it taught me balance as far as assimilating you know good good player ideas and those rewards but maintaining the danger of it all the danger the adventure yeah yes exactly that's a good one i honestly i'd probably do the exact same thing i'd be like you did it you beat it <laughs> good right. job okay nathan yeah so i've had a, a few i'll never do that again teachable moments but um i've had one recently uh regarding chases but i'm not going to go into that one uh, instead, <laughs> spoilers. Yeah, spoilers. <laughs> instead, I'm going to talk about. So, the Dungeon Master's Guide for Fifth Edition outlines the, you know, the encounter difficulties for certain things, and you know, it, it's broken down by easy, normal, hard, and deadly encounters. So recently, I've uh, kind of been pushing things a little more towards the hard, deadly side of things. And it's been a lot more fun. So I guess the teachable moment here is the the characters that are in the game are supposed to be the best of the best. So uh, yeah, don't be afraid to throw the worst at them because uh, easy encounters and normal encounters aren't exactly, I guess, the most fun. You don't really feel that great after completing an easy or normal encounter. So, you know, unless... It, it's a group of new players, I guess. I mean, I guess that's valid. Starting yeah. out with people who have played D&D before at level one is always kind of like... Yeah. All right, let's fight some goblins, I guess, for three weeks until we can finally fight, start fighting cool stuff. That, that's just my experience, though. It's a lot more fun to go up against something that is more of a threat, I guess. Okay. Anthony... A uh, quick aside to something I would never do again would be DM. I think eight people at, in one game. Uh, that was Blah. that was rough. Um, I want to throw up. Yeah, but um, <laughs> a more a more you know something that can be applied. Magic items. I I'm pretty restrictive as to what kind of magic items I give out now because in the past I have given out you know crazy stuff like a sentient spear that is really powerful um <laughs> and rude and rude um and rude. that can kind of you know tip encounters in in certain directions where you wouldn't necessarily and you then you have to plan out for certain things and you know one player then is put above kind of everyone else while they have that item and it, it kind of unbalances things um but i guess i didn't learn my lesson because i just gave some players a really crazy teleportation artifact so we'll see how that goes yeah. <laughs> i imagine it's hard to find like kind of a balance between 
overpowering your characters and still making the game fun because like we just said if if fights are too easy it's not fun anymore and so you want so even though you're giving these players these magic items or they're leveling up and they can do these just like they've wicked ass like spells and moves that do a crazy amount of damage but still if they're killing the thing in two hits it's just not fun anymore so i imagine there's definitely a a balance between yeah you can do really cool stuff but now you're gonna fight even harder stuff like definitely trying to balance that out that makes sense i don't yeah. imagine i imagine that's a a little hard to do because giving out a, ma- a magic item like that would eventually like in game i'm sure be part of the story and then you can't really take it away at that point because <laughs> you've given it to them yeah, yeah i think a priest ended up saying no we need this back give it give it back give it back, <laughs> back. <laughs> and it went away kind of quick but oh my goodness nice uh, on that vein uh, of magic items, not necessarily the powerful ones, but some of the more mundane ones, I'll never let the bag of tricks in my campaigns again. Nah. Oh, I hate that thing. Oh, no. Yeah. I hate the bag the, of tricks. The one where you uh, throw out an animal and uh, it you can throw up to three of them at a time. It's just a nightmare. Certain amount of chaos that you just don't need added. <laughs> yeah, I despise that thing. Badger, 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 but <laughs> shoot, where's my giant weasel stat block? <laughs> my giant weasel stat block. It was funny and it added a lot to the campaign, but I will say as a player, it was frustrating because it would take so long to get to my turn again because not only did we have the three players, but we also had a giant hyena, we had a big weasel, and we had a big old monkey that had to go before I could go. <laughs> that was really frustrating. <laughs> How rude. And they weren't doing as much damage as I did. <laughs> okay, next question. So, how long, generally, if you had to guess, goes into planning a campaign? So, you can answer this in how long you generally spend on a planning session, if that's something you do, or if you had to guess how many hours went into planning throughout the day, washing dishes, thinking about your campaign, kind of thing. Let's start with Sam. I tend to, I don't know, this will sound weird. I, I tend to escape into the fantasy of planning my campaign a lot, just in my daily, you know, daydreaming time. Mm-hmm. Um, but where it like really comes down to, okay, I'm going to plan what is going to happen in the next session. I'd say for each session, and we usually play between four and six hours, this group, it's going to be about eight hours of planning. I just set up with my laptop and, um, open a document and I do just sort of like a choose your own adventure kind of style. It's like, okay, I'm going to talk to this person. This is what that person looks like. If they have the interaction goes this way, this will happen. If it goes that way, this Mm -hmm. will happen. And you, you cannot plan for every contingency. It just can't be done. Yeah. But getting that outline together, I definitely take, yeah, I'd say between seven or eight hours usually immediately in advance of playing like i'll have the day and just do it and then we play that evening um Mm -hmm. or you know as soon beforehand so i can't so i don't have time to change my mind about anything like we just go yeah (laughs) (laughs) i'd imagine because if you do the outline and then you have to work the next day you're sitting there just at work thinking ah what if they did this what if the wizard has that yeah Mm -hmm. ah i changed my mind and then you gotta go home and fix it (laughs) right yeah Providing you remembered the cool thing you thought of. Of course. Good to know. Yeah. And would you say that having an outline like that helps? Like, just in general, like having it written down on paper, even if it doesn't go that way, 
just have, getting it your ideas onto a piece of paper or what would you say to people who are like I don't need to write that down I'll remember I, f- I find it helps in two big ways it it cements the flow of events sort of that you know adventure pattern and it also I like to flatter myself to think that I give <laughs> pretty good descriptions of character appearances and like location scenery and I I owe that to I wrote it down beforehand. I can read it off the page and it'll sound very nice instead of me going, uh, and there's a pillar that's made of, um, I guess it would be marble. It's like, there's a glorious yeah. marble pillar in front of you. Yes. It, it just lends an, an eloquence and organization mm-hmm. that, that would not otherwise be present. And that's more fun for the players. It's true. It also, I feel like as a player, when my DM is talking and they're like, this is exactly what you see before you. It feels a lot more concrete than when they're like, um, it's this way. And I guess it would have this because that feels a lot more malleable. And I can play with that where I can be like, so would you say that there might be this thing here? And he could be like, sure. And then <laughs> I start doing whatever I want to do. And I just feel like that's that's uh, could get out of hand very quickly. So I, I see the the merit in having what you're going to say ready beforehand because it definitely provides it's going to sound weird a sense of security for the players <laughs> oh yeah and and for and for me <laughs> yes i feel safe thank you all right nathan so overarching campaign i guess i'm pretty much constantly thinking about that i've got the neck for example the village idiots i have the story structure the basic outline for the next five years planned the five real-time years not in-game years oh wow i know and that's just (laughs) really broad strokes like i know what i want this story to be like i know by the time they're level 10 they're going to be doing this or i hope they're doing this (laughs) if i can introduce maybe a side question to that do you feel that's a natural consequence of like you now have this infrastructure of the podcast to do that, or is that something you'd be doing anyway? Well, I started working on the world of Lanamore in 2014, and I always had these big ideas of kind of where it was going to go and the kind of stories that I wanted to tell. So when I talk about the the broad strokes, it's really kind of like um, the stations on the railroad, if you will. Mm. <laughs> but. With regards to it being a podcast, I feel like I'd be doing this anyway, regardless of whether or not we were telling this story on the airwaves or not. Nice. So, yeah, I've got uh, the next four arcs planned. Well, no, the next three arcs, including the not including the one that we're in. But as far as before the sessions go, I don't really do as much planning as uh, maybe other DMs, maybe an hour or two. I kind of have the what points uh, are the players trying to get to in order to get to their next stop along the the outline that I've created. So do they want to do something combat related? Has there is there something, you know, RP related they need to do or they need to sell off their stuff or, you know, are they looking for someone specific? What does that look like? And I kind of treat it more as a a one shot at that point in a, a greater structure. And we record two episodes at a time, generally two to three episodes, I guess. So that ends up being about an hour and a half per episode. It turns out to be an hour long episode. And 
So we're anywhere between three and four and a half hours of playing at a time. So yeah, I don't, maybe about an hour per episode, I'll say, but because I've got that broad stroke outline, I kind of know where everything's going and I've got documents upon documents of just people, things, political structures and all that kind of stuff that I can use as my guideline too. So, and then if the, yeah, if the players ask something specific, then I have to create a whole new document. So <laughs> we love to do that. All right. Thank you. Yeah. Anthony. So I don't necessarily plan a campaign. I, I build world mostly and then allow for them to interact through that. So I am constantly whenever I get an idea for something within the world, I will be taking note of that. I have about 20 different notes on my phone. I have so many different documents that I probably should combine a bunch of them. But it's more of like a drop them in with an initial situation and we'll see where that goes. And I I, I would say, yeah, I have a few like broad strokes off that. Like, okay, eventually this will probably come back to bite them and we'll see how that works. So as far as planning a big campaign, I don't I don't really do that that kind of thing. So I'll probably talk more to session. Per session, I'll spend anywhere from an hour to no time at all um, planning. <laughs> and I'm sure I'm sure I'm sure it shows, but sometimes, you know, getting home from work, jumping in, you don't have the time mm-hmm. to, you know, sit down and really take the time you'd like to. And uh yeah, I'm sure it shows, but I've, I think I've developed the improv skills to just go with it and having that world knowledge, being able to supply more, uh, to, to infer more like what's going on right now. What, how would these people react? How would these NPCs react? How would the world react to what the players are doing, what the characters are doing? And that makes sense. I mean, I feel like if you plan out very specific encounters or very specific endings especially far in the future you could possibly end up uh in a game of thrones how i met your mother situation where (laughs) you're just shoving these characters into an ending that they no longer fit because you planned this ending and when you first started the campaign but now it's been however many years and these characters have grown and changed and made certain decisions and shoving them into an ending that you decided three years ago would probably be not helpful (laughs) to the campaign yeah yeah for me it's more small arcs reevaluate small arc reevaluate mm-hmm. see where you can go from there yeah but that's helpful if you if you are a planner like that but you don't you're don't want to plan too much planning the world itself seems to be the way to go to, if you want to if you if you're not a writer like if you don't want to write plan it all out write it down that's not your vibe you can definitely just think about the world that you're playing in and that will inform what happens to your characters that makes a lot of sense Mm-hmm. Okay, so that brings us to our very first lightning round. Oh, God. <laughs> Insert thunderclap here, Justin. <laughs> Again, no right answers to the lightning round questions. These are all strictly opinion, and they are allowed to, and they're not allowed to think about them. So if they answer something that you're like, that's a stupid answer, they may have just been frazzled. So <laughs> let us start. We are starting with Sam. That's so generous of you. <laughs> I know. Let's start with Sam. All right. Okay. I'm going to go through these. There's five questions, and then you're off the hook. All right. One, two, three. 3.5 or 5E? 5E. 
Keeping track of currency, yes or no? Yes, but it's hard. <laughs> Weight rules, yes or no? No. Rogue or monk? Monk. Book or homebrew? Book. And that's it. See how easy that was? It was painless. All right. <laughs> All very simple questions. Um, I agree. I don't, I'm generally not, I understand tracking currency because you don't want them to just buy whatever, <laughs> but tracking weight is rough. I have never been into that. I understand if you really like it, but I guess that's just another reason I hate 3.5 and Pathfinder and I'm more into 5e. I like to ballpark it where it's like, sure, you can have as many coins as you want, but you can't haul that giant statue out of the dungeon without making, (laughs) you know. (laughs) Yes, there's limits. (laughs) General limits. Okay, moving on to the next question. So after we just talked about how much time you spend planning these and the painstaking effort you go through, tell me about a time a character just absolutely fucked all of that up. Just completely one fell swoop, ruined it, ruined it forever. (laughs) Sam, go ahead. Up to this point, I can't think of a time, you know, aside from what I mentioned earlier with like, ah, this big green dragon fight that's totally going to wreck everyone and then it didn't. Um, No one, no one thus far, and I'm knocking on wood here, has, (laughs) has thrown off any of my big fixed points. Now, granted... In the year or so that we've been playing because of the nature of this group, it, that actually doesn't amount to a whole lot of sessions. And I have uh, I've basically just gotten my characters sort of off the road and into town where the story really begins. Uh-huh. Um, so there's still a lot of room for things to go wrong in my beautiful... They haven't yet, but it's still young. <laughs> ...master scheme. Um but yeah, I've I've been lucky on that count so far. <laughs> oh wow, that is uh, very lucky, Nathan. <laughs> I think I know the answer to this one. So, uh, if you all listen to the podcast and uh, <laughs> subscribing to Patreon, I imagine that you do. Uh, you'll remember mm-hmm. uh, an episode what three or four? There were the everyone the party was in uh, a tomb, the tomb of Idrindon. <laughs> Mm-hmm. And uh, a certain tiefling fighter broke down a wall. Instead of solving the puzzle. Yeah, that was... Uh, and then another wall. And then another wall. Yeah, so... Uh, Fuck your puzzles. <laughs> yeah. So prior to starting the main campaign, or actually the mini campaign that we we recorded at the beginning of this year of 2019, I asked all of the players what type of things they'd like to see more of after we had finished the Curse of Strahd game. And they said they wanted more puzzles. So I said, (laughs) sure. Okay. Here's a simple puzzle. So you'll all remember that they had these gems. They had a emerald, ruby, and a sapphire. And they were supposed to go in certain pedestals. But it was a northward orientation where they found the gems. And it was an eastward orientation where the gems needed to go. So they needed to shift everything 90 degrees to to clockwise. What could be simpler? Yeah. In order to open the door that would get them to where they needed to be, they were not supposed to find the secret passages where Tuprix was controlling a skeleton that was sitting on the throne. Tuprix was supposed to be a uh, 
just kind of a nerdy little guy that was trying to scare people uh, had gone kind of mad but really wasn't much of a threat so when they started breaking down the walls <laughs> this is how i adapted instead of making it a skeleton sitting on the throne it was two pricks sitting on the throne in skeleton makeup he was very mad then and uh yeah he became something that i didn't intend but i think it uh i think it worked out pretty well <laughs> so yeah yeah that was that was rough <laughs> we were like we want more puzzles on the podcast i know the wizard of oz comparison was made but also like very scooby-doo energy <laughs> <laughs> yes i would say we as a party just generally have very a lot of scooby-doo energy <laughs> <laughs> heavy scooby-doo vibes heavy scooby-doo vibes oh my god okay anthony your turn have your players wronged you yeah um <laughs> i've never had anyone like mess up a master plan um because i you know i, I tend to not think it like they will be at this end point at this time and mm -hmm. so you know if, if they go off that rail i'm not i don't care yeah but the most recent thing i can think of there was a half-elf who wanted to meet his father, and that was one of his major goals for the time, and we got to that point. He met his father. His father was very, very dismissive, but saw that he could use him for some political intrigue and dropped him this little magical item that would just listen in on the conversations that he was having. And through a completely random chance, he, trying to buy a magic item, found out what that item did tried to sell it and now they know that this guy's been listening into them for forever so instead of him listening more now they're being real secretive about what they're talking about so the amount of information that i can give the um the bad guy it's uh it's 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 limited now so i'm gonna have to you know ramp up the clock put the put the heat on that makes sense to to kind of counteract that revelation that I didn't think was ever going to come. So you either had uh, too much or too little faith in your players. <laughs> 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 One or the other. Oh my goodness. Um, okay. So here is a question that I have been excited to ask because I legitimately don't know what I would do here and it's mostly because I'm married to someone who does it. How do you handle chaotic or unpredictable players? So the players that are strictly at your table like if they love they just love playing oh i don't know chaotic evil characters nathan and they just their main goal is to just be a dick and there are some people some players who like legitimately they go in for the purpose of messing up a campaign and that's not what i'm talking about i'm talking about people who want to play the campaign but they find it really fun to play characters who just like to light bars on fire or get into fights you don't want to get into and generally kind of go against the flow of the party and the DM because of quote unquote character and alignment. So I am looking for any advice on that. <laughs> Starting with Sam. I find, and I guess this is informed almost more by my experiences as a player being at the table with people like that. But, but now that I'm sort of seeing it, I find that the game can handle a surprising, more chaos than you'd think. Mm -hmm. Like, Sometimes you think like, wow, that's a really wild and messed up thing to do. But you can step back and be like, no, we can handle this. We can. All right. So the bar is on fire. Now what happens? So you can absorb a certain point of that. But I think once it gets too much, 
the best way to handle it is actually off off the table, out of the room, one on one with the player. Talk talk kind of out of character and be like, "Hey, so things are going away in the game. Am I not furnishing the experience you'd like to have, or is there any way we can we can make this fun for you without you sabotaging it?" Forever. not sabotaging, <laughs> sabotaging but it. um yeah i th- i think that that becomes a time where it's like you don't want to call anyone out in front of the whole group yeah but i think most people in that situation are probably just looking for a different experience and you can either incorporate that or give some gentle guidance like okay this is what we need to do to make sure everyone has fun yeah but for those simple players who are just, they've lit the bar on fire. There's a good amount of keep calm, carry on mm-hmm. involved with all of that. So if there's a an evil character who just wants to do chaotic, evil things, there's a good amount of just kind of deal with it. You can move on. It's fine. But it gets to a point where I guess it would be if all the other players are no longer having fun. That would be the problem. It's actually, I guess it is possible sometimes to get buy-in from the rest of the players. Like, hey, you've got this evil person. You guys want to tend a little bit more towards evil as a group? I always think that's very fun. (laughs) I've always wanted to play just like a completely evil campaign. Oh, goodness. All right. So, Nathan, I'm going to ask you this question, even though this is you as a player. I don't know why he does this as a player, even though he is a DM. But maybe, maybe you have the specific insight on how to handle it. It is real fun. Well... As I stated earlier, always the DM, never the player. So it's really fun as a DM to uh, throw as many chaotic or unpredictable NPCs as you can at your party. But as it goes with uh, player characters, so my, I guess, theory with this is so long as everyone is having fun, let the chaos happen. Mm-hmm. But you have to ground it in the real world consequences of what would happen in your world so for instance if the bar is lit on fire the guards are looking for you for arson and that's going to be a plot point down the way so so long as you can tie it back into the story i think that you can get any sort of chaos or unpredictability to serve you know the campaign or the story or the players in some way so i'm generally pretty go with the flow with it but take copious notes as to what exactly are the consequences of this? Mm-hmm. Let's not forget this happened down the road. Yeah. So that's that's kind of how I handle it. Makes sense. Anthony? Yeah. Consequences are big when it comes to having chaotic alignments in your, in your, in your game. I honestly think in at least one of the games I'm running right now, more than half the party are either some variation of chaotic neutral or chaotic good. You know, we don't have any chaotic evil in there. But there's a lot of people just going at it, doing what they want to do. And it's great because it it does add that uh, keeps things fresh and it allows for consequences, which is great. Where it doesn't get great, and usually I've only found this happens with chaotic evil, not that I'm against it. Chaotic evil reaches a point, I've found, where that player's character becomes the villain within the party. Once that happens that's when that conversation is like, okay, let's all sit down and talk. What do we feel about this? Is this okay? You know, have you alienated yourself enough from these group of people that you're adventuring with 
where it makes sense to continue down this path. Would you repent away from this? Would you would you rec- recant this? No, then then we have to consider where we go from here. Mm-hmm. In chaotic's pretty dangerous in that. I mean, lawful in the same sense, you could have someone who's lawful stupid who doesn't <laughs> allow the party to do anything because it, it's against the law. So either side of the spectrum is very, you know, can be very difficult at times to work with. Yeah. But not impossible. And that perfectly brings me to our next segment, which is called Morality. How to follow your character's alignment without ruining everyone's good time. So... How do you play a moral character, a character that is lawful, that it's just advice for players mostly from a DM standpoint? How do you play a character that is supposed to be lawful good or um, even lawful neutral and still be in an adventuring party that, you know, know, kills people and breaks laws and things like that? So how do you play true to your character without literally ruining the game for everybody? (laughs) Starting with Sam. I'd say know your breaking point. Will you break a law to save your own life? Will you kill to save your own life? Would you kill to save someone else's life? Things things like that. Knowing what conditions let your character jump in to sort of be a part of that gnarly side that you just have to have in D&D. Also, I have always loved the adage, I think it's from a meme, lawful good does not mean lawful nice. Um, where, you know, even if you're this completely morally upright character, when the time comes to bring the hurt, that can fit within the context of, you know, a crusade or, or whatever it is that your reason is. But I think, um, and this actually applies sort of to evil as well, like knowing where your alignment breaks lets you live fully within the range of what your character is morally capable of. Yeah. I mean, I think it's important to look at morality as a spectrum. I mean, just because you are lawful good does not mean that you can't play with the rest of the chart. It just means that you mostly are here, which makes sense. But there's definitely reasons that you would break from that. You don't have to be like, well, I can't steal because I my character would just literally never steal ever. We can't go break into this person, this evil person's house and steal this book because I would never steal or break into a house. Like you can't it eventually like starts hindering the party. <laughs> right. So finding where you lie there is important. The the fun part of that as a DM is finding out what that breaking point is and making them live there. Mm-hmm. Uh, making them live there. <laughs> there you go. All right, Nathan, any opinions? Yeah. So speaking to finding that breaking point, I think as a player, it's important to know if you are lawful, what is your prime law? What is the law above all laws? Because that kind of helps you figure out your spectrum as to, well, if my main law is, you know, don't kill anybody, then what if the, or don't kill anybody and don't let anyone be hurt. If someone is trying to kill a bunch of people, then it's maybe okay to kill this person who's trying to kill a bunch more people. It's the trolley problem. (laughs) Do you kill five people or one person? So kind of, just know why are you trying to uphold this law and what can you do that would be in service to that prime law. Mm-hmm. So that makes sense. Setting your, your boundaries yeah, and your, what's the word I'm looking for? Your prime directive. 
Yeah, maybe. <laughs> it's the prime directive. The the three laws of robotics or whatever. Yes. <laughs> yep. It just makes it a lot easier if you have one fixed point that you know you uh, are trying to uphold. Yeah. I mean, coming into D&D with a lawful character, I feel like you should just know that your lawful character is going to be pushed to their limits and you should come in knowing those limits. Like, you're going to have to kill people and steal stuff. It's D&D or it's what's going to happen. So you're going to have to decide how you're going to reconcile that with yourself rather than kind of deciding how, why, if you're going to do it or not. I think it needs to be before you even start playing needs to be how am I going to reconcile what I'm about to do with this character that I'm creating Mm -hmm. rather than just coming in and being like, hi, I'm playing here to play D and D and I don't kill, steal or swear or drink. (laughs) You're like, "Mm, great. Glad to have you in the campaign. (laughs) You guys want to start a farm? (laughs) (laughs) You guys want to start a farm. (laughs) All right, Anthony, your turn. Uh, Yeah, it's that that how you reconcile with it. Once you reach that that breaking point, once you've done something that, you know, goes against your alignment, partially, because alignment, in my opinion, has big shades of gray around each of those, you know, nine little squares. How you deal with that. And I find... Once you are pushed past that point, be it by extraneous forces that the DM puts you through or by another character's actions and how you deal with the fact that you helped with those or you're against those actions, that opens up so much opportunity for great RP. There have been so many times where a session has stopped for about an hour and people have spoken within character the entire time as they discuss like why did you do this thing and the character justifies themselves and it kind of changes everyone's perspective on the event and everyone kind of thinks about their character for a minute and I've had players come to me with should I shift my alignment because of this thing that I did and I'm like no I mean unless you feel like you should Maybe maybe there's maybe give yourself a limit. Three more times I, I break this law, or three more times I'll give myself to like think these evil thoughts and then maybe I'll shift to the next like stage. Maybe not going from good to evil right away, but from good to neutral. You know, it's those big shades of gray, it's not immediate. It's not an immediate you know, there aren't just nine types of people in the world. <laughs> so just like there's not just four types of people for the Harry Potter houses. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Except that there definitely are. Anyway, but I agree for the for the alignment. And I, I feel like something I said to – we had our first meeting for our um, Ladies of Lanamora podcast mm. last night. And we were talking about that. And I did have a player ask um, – she's new and asked about picking her alignment. And she was nervous about picking something and like kind of sticking with it. And I think that some, especially newer players, don't realize that you can change your alignment later. And there might be some kind of – consequences or whether or not they're good or bad but coming later but let's say you decide to go with a chaotic good character and you're playing this character and then as as the campaign goes on things happen that you feel your character would do something and i feel like i don't want anyone to hold themselves back from making a decision they feel like their character would make just because of the alignment they chose so like if you are feeling like that alignment is not sitting with your character in the way that you want your character to interact with the story you just talk to the dm and they can you can easily change your alignment like picking it at the beginning doesn't mean all right i'm here forever now <laughs> like this is it it's not as stagnant or it's not as permanent static. as i think static 
that's the word I was looking for. It's not as static. It's not as permanent as I uh, as I originally thought when I started playing, or as new people think when they first come in. It sounds like such a big question. Yeah. Um, what your alignment is going to be, like, how are you playing this game? And so I think a lot of people put a little, almost even too much stock in that because, as Anthony said, you're right. There is a lot of gray area in between those. You're not just lawful evil. You're everything, but mostly lawful evil. <laughs> And I think even people who aren't familiar with the game at all have experience of that system as like a meme. Yes, yes. <laughs> so they come in with a lot of preconceptions about it as well. Yes, they're like, are you Captain America? Are you Deadpool? Are you Iron Man? <laughs> yes, but I've had to, um, actually last night I did find a Game of Thrones one to help one of the players and it was from season one. And this is actually a really good explanation of how your alignment changes. So it was season <laughs> one Game of Thrones in a morality chart or an alignment chart. And it is hilarious. I definitely, that's my biggest takeaway from starting a campaign is, is kind of realizing that maybe, I, maybe my alignment is not the most important thing in the world for my character. And I don't have to base every single decision on oh, well, my alignment wouldn't let me do that. When in reality, it's like what your character would do and the alignment comes after. More important than alignment, I think. I, I, I kind of want alignment to be low-key abolished, but uh, the, the <laughs> in 5th edition, you have beliefs, ideals, personality traits, flaws. Like, those open up so much more about who your character is and what they believe and things like that instead of two little words that are supposed to define your entire character you know just yeah. thinking about those things can round you out so much more and give you more to work with yeah definitely agree yeah all right so that brings us to our next lightning round and this is going to be for nathan hello all right you ready so ready all right lay them on me <laughs> all right three two one planned ending or organic ending Planned ending. RP or combat? RP. Swords or spells? Swords. Shadowfell or the Feywild? Feywild. Strict gameplay or house rules? House rules. Good answer. <laughs> <laughs> At least for me and my style of gameplay. <laughs> I have a habit of when Nathan, as a DM, makes a very quick decision that I forced him into making... And then I force him to stick with that for the whole rest of the campaign. I think it was Curse of Strahd that he let us use our inspiration to take another action. Mm -hmm. Oh, no. Because he didn't realize that it was, it was our very first time playing. And so he was just like, sure, I think that's what inspiration does. You get to use it to take an action. That is not how inspiration works. Hey, can I uh, revise my answer to the second question? I'll never do that again. Teachable moment. That. <laughs> <laughs> I also let you uh, basically hoard inspiration. You didn't have just oh, one. No. Oh, no. Yes, he let us keep inspiration. So if he kept giving us inspiration, we had like five or six saved. And so we could take extra actions. It was rough. It was terrible. But not great. He, he said it. And then we definitely never let him change it. For curse. We were like, okay, well, you said it. This is it. <laughs> this yeah. is it. He probably should have put his foot down. I had to sit you all down and say, all right, this is what we're doing for village idiots. Not that. <laughs> it's, like, it's gone. It's over. <laughs> <laughs> it 
He was like, listen, we're not doing that. That was insane. I hated it. Please don't do it to me again. Yeah. <laughs> so that's what Nathan gets from making a quick decision. <laughs> anyway, so fun lightning round. Moving on to the next question, which is, what is your favorite NPC that you've ever created? So the NPC that you have, uh, the NPC that you've created that either had a special impact on your campaign, maybe they were there for a long time, your players really loved them, or you just really love playing this character, so maybe they come back in every campaign. Let us know. Starting with Sam. Right. Um, most most of my favorite creations have yet to be introduced to my players, of whom one is present, oh. so I'll, I'll hold off there. But one <laughs> sticks out. This was not in our main campaign. It was an evening when someone couldn't make it. So we did a little one-shot adventure. It's like, we're going to go somewhere else. So they were playing mercenaries, working for this guy, Florian Lassarn, who was <laughs> an enchanter from the Mages College who crafts wands, and he dragged him into the middle of the forest to cut down some magic trees to make magic wands. Great. Mercenaries. Fought, fought a Trent. It was super. Mm-hmm. By the end of it, I had played this stuck-up mage so (laughs) smarmily and just downright nasty and rude to the players that like, they finished the fight, and that was kind of all we had planned for that session. And we were wrapping up, and they said, hey, can we do this again and kill that guy? So, <laughs> so now I'm sort of spinning out this little sort of side quest story for whenever, you know, it's just this particular group of players that they can take down a big bad that was initially just a one shot NPC. Oh, my um, God. So I was proud of the impact that that minor character made in such a short time. <laughs> Just uh, something you just came up with off the top of your head. Now your players are like obsessed with them and like, can we kill that guy? <laughs> Precisely. He he needs to go down. <laughs> he needs to go down. Nathan, what is your favorite NPC? I think you know, but no one else does. Uh, my favorite NPC that I ever made was named Zalcorin Lazuli. He was a gnome sorcerer, wild magic sorcerer, uh, chaotic evil. Obviously. <laughs> He was my DMPC for the Horde of the Dragon Queen uh, that we played. I don't know. Played. We never finished it. Uh, we're still kind of in the middle of it, technically. Yeah. So Zalcorn was a chaotic evil gnome sorcerer who his main goal in the Horde of the Dragon Queen was to create a Draco Lich so that he could ride it. And the players were okay with this and kept him along. We facilitated it. We helped. We got him a dragon. They got the dragon egg out of the cave. You know, it's like chapter two or something in Horde of the Dragon Queen. There are the three black dragon eggs and they let him keep one, knowing full well that he wanted to make a Dracolich. But it had to be, since he's a gnome, he had to kill the dragon when the dragon was a certain size so that he would be able to ride it. That's why he needed one as a baby. Yeah. So he, he's raising it until it gets the perfect size, and then he's going to kill it so he can have a Dracolich. And we were like, cool, sounds good. <laughs> yeah. He, uh, you know, set the tavern on fire. He, what else? What else is, oh, he, uh, when the, he first met them, because he's a wild magic sorcerer, he rolled on the wild magic table. I made it so that whenever he got mad, he had to roll on it. So he was really mad at the fighter character. 
and he rolled that he would be resurrected immediately if he died. So he knew this and antagonized the fighter to the point where the fighter killed him. And then he immediately came back. Scared the shit out of all of us. Yeah. It's a power move right there. It is. Yeah. And we were like, ah, cool. And so we've been keeping this like magic gnome with us and mm -hmm. whatever he wants. Yeah. He wants a dry, like Dracolich. Let's do it. Like, yeah. <laughs> So I guess that's a good way to fold your chaotic evil character in with your regular characters. Yeah, he's great. I love him. He's my baby. I reskin him sometimes and bring him into other campaigns. So yes, he does one hundred percent. If you hear, didn't we already? Didn't you already do it for Village Idiots? No, we played uh, Feelings and Lasers. That's right, Feelings and Lasers. I was basically Zalcorn, but in space. So if anyone hears a gnome. A chaotic, evil gnome character in Village Idiots. It's Zalcorin. <laughs> He's in every game. Yep. But I, I do love Zalcorin. I do. Anthony, your turn. My big bad evil guys are very nice, but they do a lot of things behind the scenes so they don't get seen as much. They've made appearances every once in a while. But one of them, well, one of their lackeys, players really kind of latched on to a bit as, oh, it's that bastard. Oh, it's that guy. Oh. Whenever he'd show up. And unfortunately, and he, he was, he ended up being one of my favorites to, to play because I would know when he was there, but they wouldn't know when he was there. <laughs> <laughs> and we had gotten to a point where, like, the, the party ended up trapped in this tomb. This old tomb they went into, a vampire had basically trapped them there. And so it reached a point where we're like, okay, they're probably going to die, but let's give them a chance. So we kind of did a, a side party, br brought in new characters, and they were going to take this this tomb from the top down and try to rescue these players, or these characters. And who do they meet at the very beginning but that NPC just sitting there <laughs> chilling, waiting for the other guys to come out so he could kill them. And so they fought and killed this guy because they found out that he seemed really sketchy. He didn't seem to be talking straight with them. So the players felt really nice for getting to take him down, which I thought that was a nice thing. But they all said, but it wasn't the characters that should have done it. <laughs> that made me feel real good. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. That's fantastic. Nice. Next question. And this is one that I'm excited to ask because as a player, I really want to know this. What is your biggest table pet peeve? When you are sitting around, you sit down to play a nice game of D&D, &D, what is the one thing that your players can do that just drive you insane? Starting with Sam. We play with a lot of a lot of actors and creative types, which I think is like a natural personality that's drawn to this game. And sometimes the line gets very blurred between all of us just like kind of riffing and telling jokes and then what's actually happening in the game. And I think the thing that bugs me most is like when someone will say like, ah, wouldn't it be wild if I just like did this thing right now? And it's like, oh, that's really funny. So what do you actually do? And they're like, no, I do that thing. Yeah. <laughs> and it comes off as kind of out of character and it didn't quite make sense. And it's like it was amusing as a hypothetical but then when it, it shifts the landscape of the game too much in that direction, it kind of rubs me the wrong way. Yeah, which I get 100%. But I, there, you can get caught up in like the table of everyone's laughing and making jokes and wouldn't it be funny if I did this? And then, no, you know what? I'm going to do it. Right. And uh, that's definitely a trap. <laughs> in, in a way that's 
distinct, I think, from like earlier we talked about, like if your character is chaotic and does random stuff, great, cool, we'll roll with that. But if you just do one random thing because it's kind of funny, yeah, we're not committing to the fiction. I guess. <laughs> <laughs> we're starting to have a problem. All right, Nathan. So one of my biggest pet peeves is uh, when players don't know what their PC can do. I mean, I'm keeping track of all of this stuff with monsters and, uh, you know, the story and trying to improv with whatever crazy thing that they're doing and uh, just, you know, know what your character can do. Know how far out your dark vision is. Remember that feature that you've got because I've forgotten about it. <laughs> I'm, I assure you I have. Yeah, that's fair. How many uses you have left on this artifact that you've got, so. Yeah. I think that that can sometimes, like, a player can rely a little heavily on the DM in some of those cases. Like, rely mm-hmm. on them to remind them that they've got this feat that gives them an extra two to their AC or whatever. Or as a monk, you get, I, got, I think I had an extra two for my AC when it was a missile. Yeah. And I, like, never remembered that I had that. Oh, no, that was my fighter character. And I never remembered that I had it. And there were times that Nathan had to remind me, for sure, <laughs> that isn't great yeah um because he's already got so much other stuff going on so that's a good one anthony uh i would have to say it's the same exact thing it's it's the player's responsibility to be able to come to the the table with their sheet and know what it does know what dice are associated with what and and you know have their rules down pat because the amount of rules that a DM is kind of rifling through. I mean, there's books for a reason. You have to reference. You can't possibly keep everything in your head. You know, I mean, like, there's so many times where you have to stop and reference a rule already. Usually go with the flow, but sometimes it reaches a point where it's like, okay, what does this spell do? We have to know what this spell does, you know? Yeah. And when that's happening every time it comes around in combat, or if every player is doing that, in combat what should have been a 10 minute combat ends up being an hour and there goes a quarter year session yeah so that for me is my biggest whenever i see that happening i just kind of have to take a deep breath and then you know make the reminder you know we should know we should know what we got going on because it's 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 who your character is it's you know it's your part in this play and know your part yeah and that, that completely makes sense. Just generally, and I mean, if you have a, a normal question, like if you have questions about what you can do, that's totally fine. But coming in and just absolutely having no idea what a monk can do or whatever character you're playing and not having, like you didn't read at all. So like I remember we started a session, Nathan and I did with some people. And when we, we sat down to kind of start and it was like, half of them had no idea what their actual characters did. And so we spent what I thought we were sitting down to to play the game. We ended up spending like an hour just talking about what these characters can do. And that was really frustrating because, you know, that's what session zero is for and all that. And I was ready to start playing. Then you can't really start playing if you're, you have to sit there and have the DM explain the rules to you again. (laughs) And that's really frustrating for all the rest of the party who already had all their shit together. So That makes sense. I understand how that would be a big one. Next question. What is your favorite player RP moment you've had? So what has happened in your game that a player has 
decided to take some RP, run with it. Maybe it made a big impact on the game. Maybe it was just a really funny moment. Whichever. Starting with Sam. One that leaps out um, is actually something that Anthony did. He's playing this character in, in my campaign that's very, he's got a very dark past and he's playing host to this dark entity that we haven't really revealed the nature of yet. It's part of a warlock hexblade pact. And the group was transporting this prisoner. And the rest of the group had gone off and they were in the tavern yucking it up. And Anthony was alone with the prisoner who challenged him to a duel for his his freedom. Like, if, if I can beat you right now, you have to let me go. And um, it was this very, like... It was enhanced by the rest of the party being elsewhere. So we had this beautiful split screen kind of, oh, they're all off having fun in the warm. And here you are out in the rain doing this like samurai <laughs> showdown in the dark. And and ultimately, Anthony won the duel, went against the urgings of this dark thing inside and and spared the guy's life so he could continue on the quest. And it was just like a very powerful kind of... We had a little bit of going against alignment. We had a little bit of going against story. We had taking a noble choice. We had the contrast with the rest of the party. And it was just kind of a beautiful scene mm-hmm. for me that ultimately I really didn't have to introduce much at all. It just kind of played out based on the characters. That's neat. I love stuff like that. Yeah. When a moment just kind of organically presents itself and happens and you didn't really plan for this, but this is happening and it's dope (laughs) like i love those moments uh nathan so i'm gonna talk about one of the moments in the podcast that i really enjoyed so right before the party meets the console of fellows tasvig duvet they're locked up in the uh the grotty network checkpoint and they had some great rp between all of them just feeling dismayed and just you know, horrible in the situation that they were in and how did we get here and all this stuff. And we talked afterwards that that was a really heavy episode. I mean, I don't want to sound happy that I weighed actual people down, but (laughs) I mean, it's, it's kind of cool that this story that we were telling together had an impact on all of you, you know, in that way. And just, you know, you felt what your characters were feeling. I think that was really cool. Yeah. If I recall, we were all actually convinced that that was a really bad episode because we felt so bad when it was done. Like we were Mm -hmm. like, I have so many feelings about that. Like, and then, so we record two episodes. So we got to record the next one right after. And it was a much happier. So we ended, obviously you don't want to end your session on a sad, depressing note, but (laughs) we, we did silent credits (laughs) we did for this one just because we were coming right back to finish it and i remember we were sitting outside during our break and i was like we were talking about how we just didn't think that was a good episode we were worried about it just because we felt we were in such a weird mental area i guess and then afterwards we finished finished the kind of thing we were doing finish the next episode we were feeling a lot better and the episode came out and honestly it was one of our favorites that we had done listening to it back, like listening to how we all interacted with each other and the growth of our characters that came from that scene was worth it 100%. And we, I realized that the only reason we felt 
some type of way about it was just because we were we were still feeling it we were from the session like we were still in that emotional place that our characters were and i just i looked at it as oh that was a really bad episode i feel bad about it rather than no i'm just so into the story that like i drew feels bad so i feel bad kind of thing which is so cool to do for players and that's why that's why i want to do try some dm stuff because that's such a cool thing to make your characters feel yeah in case you want to listen back at those episodes, it was episode eight and episode nine. So the train conundrum and we were the village idiots all along. Nice. <laughs> all right, Anthony. This is a really hard question for me to answer <laughs> because there are so many great RP moments in the games that we were. I mean, the last, especially recently, because the last like five or six sessions in one of the games has been basically intrigue at the elven court and it has just become constant emotional scenes of like the death of someone's father and but i think i think the the moment that really stuck out was arriving to the court the character the 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 player who was playing the um, elf was her character was returning home had been gone for a long time and because of that had basically ostracize herself from her people and the choices that that player made to like show like bring herself back into their favor and show that she was back here to stay no fear dealing with her father who basically had like he was he was an elf but he was dying he had like the dementia kind of thing and and that was a beautiful scene and her going to help him the paladin the party trying to like clear away the fog in his memory and them just trying to like I think wasn't it that he couldn't see her like physically couldn't see her because of his dementia and how she dealt with that the madness the blindness whatever yeah and it was a very it was very much of uh, it, it reminded me of um, Lord of the Rings when Gandalf comes in and you know speaks to Theoden and he's like you know be gone with the evilness Sourman, get out of here uh it was very much like that but it was just such a beautiful scene and everyone was just riffing off each other it was, it was so beautiful afterwards we're all kind of like oh <laughs> <laughs> i have feelings that's amazing all right so that brings us to our third and final lightning round questions and these are for anthony are you ready i am ready all right three Two, one. Bard or fighter? A bard. Dungeons or dragons? <laughs> uh, dragons. Dice collector or dice hoarder? A hoarder. <laughs> Tactical maps or theater of the mind? Theater of the mind. Milestones or XP? Milestones. And that's it. <laughs> Super quick. I like those. All right. Final question for everybody. So we're going to ask one final question to kind of wrap all of this up. Um, and that question is, what is one piece of advice you would give to a brand new, very scared DM? Starting with Sam. Just do it. <laughs> there comes a certain point in every session where my intricately crafted, well laid out train tracks and I don't like to think that I railroad people, but I definitely have that, you know, that <laughs> that image of of Tom laying out the train tracks as he's riding <laughs> on the train. 
there comes a point all of the plans fail and it's just you at the table with your buddies telling a fun story and it's all going to turn out okay if you just just do it let things happen let people explore change your plans yeah this this thing this beautiful game that we play kind of fixes itself or self corrects <laughs> as part mm. of the collaboration so that there's far less to worry about than you initially think you need to all right just do it thank you shia labeouf all right, all right. <laughs> just kidding thank you sam that was very good um nathan say yes as often as you can so if the players want to do something it's because they want to do it to have a good time have fun so if you can say yes do or if you can't say yes find some other similar alternative and that'll help inform your your next session you know if there's something yes but uh we're gonna have to stop right here because i don't know what that is <laughs> i don't know what we're doing after this yes so don't be scared to, to say yes i guess nice anthony have fun it's a game like yeah you're sitting around playing a game and the dm is just one of the players you know it's not like the dm isn't some you know gygaxian powerful god the, the <laughs> gygaxian like, i love it the the dm is is one of the players and you are also there to have fun and enjoy yourself you know and if at any point you get stressed or you're not you have to sit in check in with yourself real quick take a breath and say no let's roll with it let's have fun let's, let's play a game we're all playing a game mm -hmm. very good advice i'm still nervous but i do feel slightly more prepared for <laughs> the next time we we meet okay thank you all for being a part of this and i would say getting up early but nathan and i are the only ones who got up early uh, <laughs> we've got another new york arizona situation here so Thank you all for being a part of this. And I hope that everyone from our Patreon very much enjoyed this episode of Behind the Screens. We will have another episode when I have more questions. Thanks for coming and we'll see you next time. You guys want to participate in a very awkward Village Idiots bye? <laughs> what does that mean? It means saying bye really uncomfortably because that's the way we end things here. Ready? Bye. 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 <laughs>